a great friend of the program from Real Clear Politics. He's their White House correspondent, Philip Wegman. Philip, good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, Pat. Right now, I'm curious what you're going to press the vice president on. I'm not saying uh, yet. <laughs> I, I don't know that I want to say it yet, because I don't want the people that listen to the program who know him to tip him off on what I might ask him. <laughs> uh, gotcha. Well, I'll be tuning in for that one. Will you? Uh-huh. And donkeys are flying. and Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, a lot of interesting things going on. I don't know. I, this announcement by Tulsi Gabbard that she's leaving the Democrat Party, I don't know that it surprised anybody. If there was any element of surprise, I don't think anybody was expecting it right now. Mm-hmm. Here you have a former representative from Hawaii who, in her time since leaving Congress, has found a home on Fox News. She's on Tucker Carlson's program pretty frequently. She's a gadfly who's critiquing the DNC constantly. And I think that we need to put this in its context. Um, Here is someone who has gotten a lot of mileage out of criticizing her former party. Right. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's just purely opportunistic. Instead, I think that with Tulsi Gabbard, um, she's an interesting mile marker for the changes that we've seen on both the left and the right in the last couple of years. And while she might have some uh, heterodox uh, opinions on on foreign policy or or COVID, um, it's interesting that she is sort of an anomaly because she is willing to talk to people who she disagrees with. Uh, that certainly tells you something about the state of our current politics, where you know someone who is prominent, who is just willing to have a civil disagreement, uh, is an anomaly. You know, one of the things about this, I, I'm, I'm going to throw this out, my, my two cents. You feel free, as you always do, to come in and tell me where I'm wrong. Um, but with Tulsi Gabbard, um, yes, often a, a negative uh, negative commentator on her own party, on things they've done, on things they should have been doing, on different personalities within the party. This does not strike me to the same thing as Ronald Reagan in the 60s saying, I did not leave the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party left me. Um, I don't see her running to the other side here. I see her as just pulling the plug from the Democrat Party, but not willing, at least yet, to plug in as a Republican or as an independent of any particular stripe or way. I just see her as saying, okay, for now with the Democrats, I'm out. Does that make her like a free agent? I mean, can you see other parties making overtures to her or claims to her? I mean, I would really like for the Republicans not to do that. If she wants to say, I'm a Republican and here's why, that's fine. But I don't want the party to dirty themselves, if, if that's for lack of a better term, by going down and just getting down in the gutter and walling around saying, hey, look over here, here we are. Yeah, I think that uh, with Gabbard, I'm not certain what constituency, constituency she has in terms of uh, politics, right? She, she doesn't have a vote anymore, but uh, she does have a voice. And so, um, if she suddenly was a Republican and tried to seek office once again, she would certainly be uh, one of the more liberal Republicans on the right side of the aisle. 
But, uh, you know, the inverse is also true. I think the comparison to, you know, Senator Joe Manchin might be more apt here. Um, and I think the reason why we're even having this conversation about uh, Tulsi Gabbard is, is because she, she is an anomaly. She is someone who is willing to criticize her own party. What I would look to her for is uh, sort of a heterodox opinion on, on foreign policy and some of these other things uh, that, you know, might have been more mainstream from liberals who previously um, were concerned about government overreach into, uh, you know, privacy or government uh, missteps on foreign policy. I think that more than anything else today, uh, she's an interesting thinker. And I think that she I think that she gives voice to some of these liberals who who previously, you know, say during the, the Bush administration were, you know, more than eager to point out uh, the mistakes of government. And, and now, um, you know, th- there's not a voice to do that now that uh, Democrats are, are running the show. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up Joe Manchin. Uh, Joe Manchin also has on occasion uh, cast some doubts and some uh, questioning against his own party. Unlike Gabbard, um, he did not carry it all the way to pull the final switch. Um where she did. In fact, it has almost become a perennial game with with Joe Manchin that he questions it and everybody goes, okay, here he comes. Come on. Come on over to our side. Come on, Joe. Come on. You're almost there. And then at the last minute, they make some minor change in whatever law it was that he was bemoaning, and boom, he falls right into line. Tulsi Gabbard has not done that. And not only has she laid out that she's leaving the Democrat Party, but she openly in her comments called on others in her party to follow her lead. Yeah, uh, and I I wonder, I doubt very seriously that anyone in Congress would do so, but I think that um, there might be a portion of the electorate who will look at Tulsi Gabbard and say, find something that I've long felt. I'm not comfortable with what we've seen uh, from the Biden White House when it comes to uh, their saber rattling uh, on war in Ukraine. I'm not comfortable uh, with some of the overreach that we've seen on COVID. Uh, I'm not comfortable, for instance, on um, the the Democratic line, not just on uh, codifying Roe, but um, on restricting, on getting rid of, of all restrictions. I think that, you know, maybe that's not a, a massive slice of the electorate, but, you know, if we're talking 100, 200, 300,000 votes uh, in some of these close races as a midterms approach, I mean, that, that could um, make a difference. And, and people might be saying to themselves more and more on the left side of the aisle, voters at home, they might be saying, all right, well, I wish there were more, uh, you know, leaders who were less ideological and, and more willing to work through a problem um, like the, the former representative from Hawaii. Has this shown up as anything more than a blip in the uh, in the journalistic circles that you run in? I mean, uh, was anybody running for their phone going, oh, wow, I got to call this in or I got to see what's going on? Or was it just kind of almost like kind of business as usual? Well, I think it was to be expected. Um, during the uh, presidential primary, uh, Tulsi Gabbard certainly held her own on the debate stage. And she you know, turned her knives on both uh, Biden and Harris. Uh, she was not someone who was going to pull punches. And what was very interesting from a machine politics standpoint is that Tulsi Gabbard 
Um, you know, she threw her weight around when it came to how the DNC was going to rule, uh, you know, its, its party apparatus. Uh, since her sort of uh, ascendancy on, on Fox News, you know, th- there's been a, a shift. And I'm not certain that, you know, reporters were surprised by this. Yeah. But it does show there's an appetite for something different than what Democrats are offering now. That need is not being met. And uh, perhaps this could be um, a, you know, this could be foreshadowing for, for something to, to come in the future. We just, at the moment, we, we don't know. And, and Democrats, um, they're not eager to uh, moderate or, or change their ways. If anything, the, the Biden White House has been, you know, um, going more pedal to the metal uh, on their agenda. You know, like, like you said, there's others maybe that feel like her. As, as the party has moved farther to the left, uh, Gabbard and other Democrats like her have become um, alienated, I- increasingly alienated. Um, she has become a frequent critic of the president, of the vice president, and of Democrats. And I think where her statements might resonate with some is maybe not other Democrats on Capitol Hill, but other Democrats out here in the nether regions, because I think that they're looking and they're going, okay, Sleepy Joe at the top, um, you know, Kamala Harris, the cackler, right behind him, clueless Nancy after her, and then you've got the mean Senate majority leader uh, as the next. And, and people are looking around going, is, okay, is this all that we've got? Where's our bench? Is our bench really going to be AOC and her friends uh, of, of, of the squad? And I think some people are looking and they're, they're saying, I've been Democrats all my life, and now I'm not exactly sure, sure who we are. I don't know who our well, banner carrier is. Well, well, consider this. I mean, there's not a single Democrat in Congress currently who is anti-abortion. It is difficult to find a single Democrat other than Joe Manchin who is uh, okay with some sort of restrictions on that procedure. Furthermore, you have the Democratic uh, Party lining up and really chomping at the bit to be more aggressive uh, towards Russia and to pursue the possibility of foreign conflict when just a few short decades ago, uh, it was the uh, party line to oppose uh, the Bush administration's um, adventurism in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. So, you know, we, we have moved pretty quickly. And I think that some of these old liberals and old Democrats might be saying to themselves, well, wait a minute, you know, we, we did a 180 on some of these issues pretty quickly. Um, is there anyone out there, anyone at all, who might be, um, you know, thinking about this differently or thinking about this in the way that we used to. Yeah, and you know, you said something in passing just then, which just sparked something in the back of our heads. When you said, you know, there's not a single Democrat anywhere on Capitol Hill that is anti-abortion. Even in the even in the highlight of Roe v. Wade. Even when Roe v. Wade was scorching across the country in the 70s and the 80s, there were always some Democrats. I mean, I still remember some of them that said, well, I'm, I'm a pro-life Democrat. I, I can't find one now. H- have they so idealized their liberal agenda that the, and they've demanded that people punch their time card and fall in line that now... A, a Democrat can't think for themselves and still remain a meaningful member of the Democrat Party? 
Well, I think that part of this is a product of polarization uh, that the country itself has gone through. And then part of it is also the fact that um, looking at the abortion question in particular, uh, there were a number of folks who said that they were pro-life Democrats. I think there was even a pro-life Democratic caucus for a while. And then uh, they decided to make some considerations. I'm thinking of uh, Representative Bart Stupak of Michigan, who went along with Obamacare. Uh, Well, you know, the Susan B. Anthony list and other uh, pro-life groups weren't happy about that. And they they started sharpening their knives and uh, did everything they could to to get him out of office. Uh, So... Uh, they, they, I think some of those folks who might previously have been more moderate Democrats have, have been replaced by Republicans. Um, and it, it's not easy to maintain your seat by, uh, you know, not touting the, the party line. I mean, if you vote the wrong way, um, there's a good chance that you lose access to some of the uh, party resources during your next primary or during your next general election. So there's certainly risks. You you know, uh, when I look at the parties, and everybody knows, this is going to come as a complete shock to you, Philip. Uh, I am a conservative Republican. I know. It's hard to take. Um, (laughs) but, But when I look at it, it seems to me that with the Republicans and with the ones on the bench, next in line, whatever. I mean, you know, when we when we look at who has been at the top of our ticket and who could be at the top of our ticket, and then you start rolling through some also-rans, you know, when you run through the DeSantis's and the Cruz and maybe even the Lindsey Grahams and then the Jims, uh, Jordan and Banks, it, it, you just go one after another after another after another of people who have been consistent banner carriers for the stuff that matters to the Republicans. And for the Democrats, there really isn't a, there really isn't a bench that's not all in their 70s and you know they're they're all slowly you know slumbering toward the exit uh, you know Nancy Pelosi where 3 weeks ago she was already asking the Biden administration so when this is all over and the dust settles after election night can I be uh, our ambassador to Italy I mean that, that doesn't sound to me like anybody that that thinks they're going to be around for a while well, the uh, the worst, most popular parlor game in Washington D.C. is what happens if Biden decides not to run again, and that underscores what you just said. There's not a long bench for Democrats. Uh, it isn't clear who the heir apparent would be, and so at that point, if you're looking for someone who's going to be at the top of the national ticket, you look in Washington D.C. and you say, "All right, well, who has been um, a party leader on legislation? Who has a significant pro?" Or is there someone out there in the state, like a Governor Gretchen Whitmer or Governor uh, Gavin Newsom, who could appeal to a large enough swath? Oh, please make it Whitmer or Newsom. Pretty, pretty, please make it Whitmer or Newsom. (laughs) And and I think that that's, that's indicative of the fact that, you know, you have some of these politicians who are very popular among the base. Um, you know, they can they can perhaps win a, a Democratic or a Republican primary by appealing to a, a slice of the electorate. Uh, but come election time, they can't run uh, to the middle. Can, can they run to the middle or are they going to try and, and do the same play that both Trump and Obama tried to perfect, which was just turning out their bases? Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard to say where that is. I don't know. I don't know that by 2026 or 2024, 26, hello, 20. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm tired. By 2024, I don't know that we'll all be saying 
Tulsi Gabbard as much as we're saying it right now. I don't know if she's going to overextend herself, get out over her skis, whatever you want to give to it. I, I think she could be somebody in the commentary world that she could always be around and people would always care what she said. I don't know that she could pick up a banner and run with it. I don't know that she would be great uh, as a running mate for the Republicans. I don't know that now she can be one for the Democrats. She skewered them so openly. Um, so it's interesting. But, but I think what's interesting is that she felt like this was the time to step away. It, does this do nothing else? And I'll leave you with this. Does this do nothing else but maybe cause an awakening, awakening within the Democrat Party to the extent they look around and go, wait a minute, we're nowhere here. We really don't have anybody. She was probably one of the most charismatic people that we had, and we've shunned her and rebuked her so much, and she's turned on us. And will voters then say, well, you know what? I'm looking at it now, and I don't think the Democrats appeal to me either. I think that might be a sentiment that they come to in retrospect, where they see there was an opportunity to work with more moderate Democrats. But at this point, um, the administration and the energy is certainly on the more progressive side uh, in favor of doing much more um, rather than finding someone who, who is moderate like, uh, like Gabbard. Certainly, th there was an expectation that at some point, Biden would uh, rebuke uh, you know, Democratic members of the squad, or he would say, no, your, your, your calls for uh, this or that social program go too far. Uh, but there has not been a sister soldier moment like uh, we had during the Clinton administration. Yep. yep. And, um, you know, maybe uh, with, with Tulsi openly saying that she's leaving the party, what this does more than anything else is show that that opportunity is gone. Yeah. For somebody with the, with the proficient profile of a Tulsi Gabbard with her um, presentation of herself, where she's she's very plausible, she's very grand, if that's a way to say it, in the way she presents herself. She's well-spoken. Uh, she's an attractive woman, not maybe just only in her physical features, but just because she carries herself so grandly. And for her to walk away from the party in this fashion, and then for the party to continue uh, to coddle the squad, yeah, I think that's going to be a huge thing for people in the party to say, okay, wait a minute, who are we? Yeah, the, the, the times certainly are changing. They are certainly changing. Philip Wegman, as always, thank you, my good friend. Hey, thank you, Pat. Podcasts by Federated Media.